This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Welcome to the Schroeder's Global Market Perspective. This is the first of what will be a series of conversations with experts at Schroeder's tailored for South African investors. We aim to distill our insights on global economies and markets into the next 20 minutes or so. My name is Gavin Ralston. I'm Head of Official Institutions and Thought Leadership at Schroeder's, based in London, but working closely with the Schroeder's team in Cape Town and Johannesburg. With me today in London is Azad Zangana, who's our Senior Economist. Welcome to the podcast, Azad. I'm not right in thinking, Azad, that you've appeared on live TV in South Africa in the past. That's right. A couple of times in my uh, past visits. And have you been invited back? I hope so. I'll be heading back uh, later this year. I'm sure I'll be making another appearance. Excellent. If you ever wonder what economists get up to in their spare time, Azad is a drone enthusiast. And if you attended the investment symposium Schroeder's put on in Cape Town, you will have seen the dramatic footage he took from Signal Hill. Would you say, Azad, that this skill for aerial photography is something that all economic forecasters should have? Uh, if it could help us with our forecasts, uh, I think it'd be great. But I think uh, as a hobby and enjoying the, the natural beauty of South Africa, I think that's really the, the, the joy that uh, I get out of it. Great. Well, let's move on to the day job and focus on the markets. So risk assets have made a, an exceptionally strong start to 2019 in complete contrast to the doom and gloom that prevailed at the end of 2018. Even though the news on growth has been uh, mixed, to put it mildly, in the US, poor in Europe, China and Japan. So what's going on, Azad? So towards the end of last year, there was a a culmination of a number of uh, factors which just drove investors to to sell risk assets. The main one uh, being the uh, risk of further escalation in the trade war between the US and China. More recently, developments have been more positive and and we're awaiting news of a potential uh, deal that would at least halt any further escalation um, there. But at the same time, a lot of the data coming out of Europe and and Japan uh, looked much worse than expected. Um, And it wasn't until more recently did we learn that a lot of this has been temporary in nature in terms of the weakness. And so I think that's helped to restore some of the confidence uh, to investors again. And obviously, the the impact of central banks has been pretty critical, particularly the the Federal Reserve. So the Fed has switched its stance pretty dramatically from where it was in December to what they call a neutral posture. What do you think is going to happen to interest rates in the US from now on? I think they'll they'll probably maintain a cautious outlook uh, and communication strategy going forward. But we still expect them to raise interest rates one more time this year. The economy is gradually slowing uh, going into 2020. Um, fiscal policy is slowly becoming less uh, uh, loose. So as some of that stimulus wears off, the economy is expected to slow. Uh, but we do think that probably sometime in 2020, the Federal Reserve may have to even cut interest rates to just stop Uh, the negative momentum building uh, in the economy. But uh, I think that they will continue to be uh, quite cautious going forward. And you talked about one uh, increase in rates in the second quarter of this year. Um, What's the justification for that if if the growth numbers are remaining pretty weak? Well, the growth numbers have come off, but they're not weak as yet. Um, We still have uh, very strong uh, jobs figures, for example. The wages data is uh, continuing to improve. 
core inflation, underlying inflation in the economy is picking up uh, very slowly. So I think there's still room for one more uh, rate increase just to make sure that the economy doesn't really overheat uh, any further. The other factor you mentioned was the ongoing trade dispute between the US and China, which continues to have an important influence on markets on a daily basis. The recent news, as you said, has been a bit more encouraging. But how does this standoff eventually get resolved or maybe it doesn't get resolved at all? It's difficult to see it being resolved altogether. I, I highly doubt the the trade relationship between the US and China will ever go back to sort of pre uh, this dispute. Uh, I think at best we see um, the current uh, rate of tariffs being kept on a hold um, until the US sees further evidence of um, some of the protectionist policy that China applies uh, being uh, withdrawn. But for the moment, um, that uh, standoff can can be uh, at least put to one side with the help of China importing more from the US rather than other parts of the world. Also, the U.S. is very keen to see the Chinese renminbi uh, stabilize at around the sort of the seven uh, rates uh, per U.S. dollar. So, uh, any signs of further depreciation, I think, would would be uh, would be unwanted at, at this stage. Uh, and then, greater commitment to protecting the intellectual property of U.S. companies in in China. This is uh, an area where. Um, Chinese authorities and Chinese companies have really abused their position uh, in terms of uh, dominating the Chinese market. Um, And they've managed to extract quite a lot of intellectual property from uh, international companies and then, of course, abuse that. And and do you think that the the Chinese will be prepared to make sufficient concessions to meet the US's demands? I think they will make um, some concessions, absolutely. But you have to also look at it from the other perspective, um, for the U.S., markets have been hit quite a bit. Uh, President Trump hasn't had uh, the best few months politically uh, when it comes to the midterm elections, for example. So he needs a win and uh, a good solid win that would boost markets and confidence in his ability to lead would be some kind of uh, temporary resolution to, to the current trade standoff. And Staying on China for a moment, it, it does look like growth in China is particularly weak at the moment. Uh, the, the Schroeder's activity indicator is actually rather weaker than the official statistics would suggest. And, and that has knock-on consequences for many other economies. Uh, talk, talk to us about what you expect the authorities to do to counter this weakening trend, especially given the point you just made about the, the US not wanting to see the Chinese currency become too weak. So uh, some kind of certainty around the future trading relationship will be helpful in itself for Chinese companies. It's pretty clear that they've cut back investment very aggressively uh, in the last nine months or so. And that's had a a knock-on impact onto um, German exporters, Japanese exporters, and and generally um, Asia um, there. So just having that resolution, I think, is helpful. But at the same time, we're seeing a little bit of fiscal stimulus coming through from uh, the central government. And the PBOC uh, is also loosening policy by... Uh, cutting the uh, reserve requirement ratio that allows banks to lend more to uh, enterprises, to the public as well. And that should hopefully stimulate demand as we go forward. But these these sound like quite limited initiatives. I mean, there's nothing like the stimulus that China gave to the global economy 
in 2009 after the financial crisis. Isn't, isn't the problem that the Chinese hands are tied in a way they weren't 10 years ago? That's right. The, the currency would have been the, the, the best sort of tool to stimulate the, uh, uh, the Chinese economy, but it would have only done so by essentially stealing demand from other parts of the world if that demand is looking quite weak to begin with, and the uh, trading relationship with the US is at stake, then that that policy tool is is off the table. Um, I think at best the authorities are hoping for a uh, a steadying of the ship, if you like. We know the Chinese economy is now going through a a secular slowdown. It will slow going forward, um, regardless of what they do. What they're very keen to stop is... A, a much faster deceleration than otherwise would be planned, which could then lead to many local Chinese investors trying to pull their money out of China for fear of what might happen to the Chinese currency. So any sort of stability, uh, I think, is, is really what they're hoping for. So let's turn to another part of the world where growth has been weakening, but in, in this case, we're a much lower base, and that's Europe. Uh, when the, the fourth quarter GDP numbers were released in Germany, the most enthusiastic, enthusiastic commentators were only able to say that Germany had avoided a recession at the end of 2018. What on earth does Europe have to do to get growth back up to the giddy heights of 2% or more? <laughs> I think uh, the... Giddy heights of 2% are long gone, uh, long behind us, in the same way as Chinese growth above 10% is, is, is well behind us. Um, you know, when most economists look at the Eurozone economy, they quickly conclude that trend growth or sustainable non-inflationary growth in Europe is around 1%, 1 to 1.2% at best. So, um, you know, the growth that we saw in, in 2017 was, was truly exceptional. Um, we had not only the domestic economy doing reasonably well, recovering from uh, recessions in previous years, but also we had a sudden boom in in global trade that, that just elevated growth to yet another level. Fantastic as it was, it was unsustainable. Now, what's happened since then is the trade side of the economy has slowed quite dramatically, mostly because of what's happening with China, but also partly uh, the UK, because of concerns around Brexit. Um, and then since then, uh, certainly towards the end of last year, we had a, a number of temporary factors that have certainly hit growth, especially in Germany. So, so the first being that there was a drought uh, in the German area, which led to the River Rhine, a, a very important river that runs all the way from the Netherlands right the way down to Switzerland. Um, that river uh, saw water levels fall to as low as only two feet. Nothing could sail down it. So it's not just the Western Cape and South Africa that's suffering from drought. <laughs> no, I think climate change is hitting everybody. But when we had that uh, situation, it meant that the manufacturers in, in the heartlands of Germany were essentially cut off from supplies of raw materials. The cost of uh, petrol was e increased by $30 per barrel on top of the raw cost alone. That, that was purely down to transportation. So that was one factor. Another factor... Uh, that hit Europe was the introduction of new car emission standards, um, which essentially meant that all new vehicles sold had to be retested at a great cost to the manufacturers. Now, this shouldn't have been a surprise for the manufacturers, but it was. And uh, essentially, there was a backlog of the production of new vehicles, to the point which the latest data that we have from January shows that total car sales since June last year are down 60% compared to previous trends. 
Now, that's not a problem with demand. That's very much a supply issue. And it should be temporary. You know, the, the backlog is slowly being, it's slowly coming down and sales are picking up once again. So I'm hoping that the weakness at the end of last year won't be repeated and we should get a nice rebound into uh, the first half of this year. You mentioned then very quickly passed over Brexit. I'm not going to ask you for a prognosis on what will happen because the politics change from day to day. But how do you as a, a forecaster incorporate a risk factor like Brexit or indeed the situation in Italy as well into the way you look at Europe? When it comes to Brexit, the, the best um, indicator or the best sort of uh, variable to look at is really the pound, the British pound. Um, if it looks like we're heading towards a more favourable outcome of a withdrawal agree- agreement being uh, finalised and a transition period, then we would expect the pound to head up to around 140 against the US dollar. However, if uh, it looks like it's going to be uh, a no-deal scenario or crashing out of the EU, as, as some might put it, um, then we're looking at a, the pound falling to around 110 against the US dollar. So the pound is really the best barometer for us uh, to look at. And um, if you think that's going to be the biggest factor to think about, then um, you then think about sort of what happens to inflation in the UK, the impact on growth that that then uh, uh, has as well when it comes to doing the forecast. Italy, um, you know, it, it's a problem that that's, I don't think is going to go away. The, you know, the rise of populist governments across Europe is, is becoming uh, more common. Um but the way to sort of think about that is if it really becomes a problem for um, the economy, then you'd expect investors to demand uh, a greater discount out of the assets uh, that we see there, be it equities or government bonds. And if that's the case, and especially with, with regards to government bonds, that means you start seeing the funding cost for companies and for the economy as a whole rise. And that tends to have a negative impact on, on growth and, of course, the public finances in turn. So, so putting all this together, so the picture you've painted is one of steady growth in the US, weak growth in China, weak growth in Europe, but uh, interest rates close to a peak in the US. Do you think there's now much upside for global equity markets from here? So is 2019 going to be more like 2017, which was a great year for equity returns, or like 2018 with the year got off to a great start, which very rapidly fizzled out? Well, we've definitely got off to a great start so far uh, this year. Um, I, I, we expect equities to perform reasonably well as we approach the end of the uh, the global cycle. Um, I think if you look back through history and look at the periods just before the recession, generally these are very good periods for uh, equities. And actually, you miss quite a lot from being underweight through those uh, times. We're not forecasting a recession this year. We're not even forecasting a recession next year either, but we do think growth will continue to slow. Uh, but, you know, as I've said, these are generally still good periods for equities because companies still have the ability to pass on cost increases to households. Households are still in reasonably good shape to be able to pay uh, the increased costs uh, as, as well. But as interest rates rise, those profit margins do start being squeezed as, as we go forward. And, and one last question. I know you don't follow the South African rand in particular, but what's your thinking on emerging markets currencies in general against the US dollar this year? So it's it's obviously been a, a pretty poor year last year, especially for the rand, um, which really did underperform other uh, emerging market currencies and, and of course, had a, a big impact on uh, South African investors that were buying international 
uh, asset classes like global equities. Um, for, for this year, uh, we should see a little bit more support for uh, emerging market um, currencies, but only because we expect the dollar to peak around the back end of the year going into 2020. This is because uh, US interest rates should, in theory, peak. Uh, and at the same time, we're looking for the European Central Bank to start raising interest rates. So that in itself would start the uh, the weaker dollar trend, which I think could be quite beneficial for um, uh, emerging market equities. But at the same time, you have to think about uh, what's happening to global growth. If global growth is weakening, uh, you would expect to see commodity prices weaken as well. That's less favorable for the big commodity exporters, including South Africa there. So I, I would continue to be quite cautious uh, over the medium term for emerging market um, uh, currencies and, and therefore would still favor the dollar and sort of hard currency assets uh, going forward. So just to conclude, to sum up the key takeaways that Azad has expressed, the big picture I think that you articulated is of a decelerating global economy approaching the end of the cycle and that in time is a challenge for risk assets and we saw maybe some of that in December of last year. Uh, there are a lot of political and other temporary factors uh, affecting global growth, particularly in Europe, Japan and China. But again, in the short term, there are signs of improvement coming through, which should ease fears over a recession this year. And then from an asset allocation perspective, uh, the support for emerging markets at the moment on the hopes of a resolution to the trade talks. But overall, it's fair to say that we're cautious on risk assets. So we hope this has been a good use of your time as you sit in your car, in your office or at home. Uh, we will be back with further thoughts on the global markets in a month or so's time. So thank you very much, Azad, for sharing your thinking with us today. And thank you all very much for joining us. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998. Registration number 01893220. Incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment.